Welcome listeners to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend Bardi. Hello Bardi. Hello Windy. And our tactics guy and a man who successfully released a manager video without everything going to shit. It's Nathan A. Clark. Hello Nathan. Well you know so far maybe I've cursed his um, future of Spurs and it will be all my fault. He's too powerful to be cursed. I, I feel that way. Yeah. Um, just just to get this out of the way, because it has to be done, uh, Fekler923 says, question for the pod, what was your favourite thing in Chicago? I had a lovely time in Chicago. Uh, my favourite thing was the architecture boat tour. If anyone's ever going to Chicago, do the boat tour. It's incredible, worth every penny. Um, one of the best things I've ever done. Uh, also, I had a lovely little mini meetup with a bunch of Chicago Spurs fans. So I want to say a couple of shout outs. Firstly, to Catherine for helping to organise our meetup and for uh, feeding me the local liqueur, Malort, uh, and for filming me drinking that. Thanks a bunch, Catherine. Um, Nathan, other Nathan, not this Nathan, for his generosity. And Dakota for the ride home. <laughs> Um, it's lovely to see Dakota. We we'd done a podcast together, and actually, um, the reason we did that podcast was because Dakota had testicular cancer and has recovered from it. I'm pleased to say, oh yeah, it's all clear. But he told me while we were having a drink that someone got in touch with him uh, via the Discord and said that podcast made them check themselves. They found something. They had testicular cancer, and oh my goodness, things could have been so much worse had wow. that podcast not been released. Wow. Released so, so like delighted that that happened, and you know Dakota's not just done a podcast with me; he's made it his life's work essentially to spread the word about checking your balls and your breasts. So he's a pretty amazing person. It was lovely to meet him in person. Um, also, thank you so much to Adam from the White Sox, who's also a Spurs fan for. His kindness ensuring we had a great day at the baseball. Baseball was really fun to watch live. And I, um, in my only ever baseball game, saw a, I think it's called a walk-off Grand Slam, which is something that very, very, very rarely happens and led to fireworks being uh, let oh, wow. off over the field, which was was really fun. Um had a lovely time. It's nice to be back with you guys. I did enjoy, I did enjoy your uh, two-man pod last week. I listened to that while I was... I'm getting ready one morning and it was a lot of fun uh, and we'll definitely come on to the cane stuff later because <laughs> I, I heard you. Don't think I didn't hear. <laughs> uh, final thing from me before we get stuck in to Ange stuff. The Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust have released a survey. It's their annual fan survey. The findings will help the trusts help inform the trust's work for the coming year. It's open to trust members and non-members and to UK-based fans and overseas fans, so everyone, essentially. To give an example of the impact, the club recently used insights that the Trust shared with them from last year's survey to develop its new membership package for overseas fans. So this is doing important work. Um, you can access the survey via the links on the Trust website, which is thstofficial.com, or their Twitter account, which is at thstofficial. I'll also chuck the survey link in the show notes, so you can get to that via that as well. Um, do do have a look at that. Make sure you fill it out for the supporters trust. They're doing some good work. 
And I'd just like to give a shout out to Martin from my running club who's doing the wall, the 70 mile ultra marathon that follows Hadrian's wall. Uh, just want him to keep an eye out for any Celtic fans that might be trying to jump the wall and come for us. <laughs> Bless him, they're not happy, understandably. Although, to be honest, they are mostly happy for Ange, I think. And that's, mm. um, I think that's a sign of what a great man he is and how well loved he is um, at Celtic. Um, where to start? I'm I'm so beyond thrilled with this appointment and Nathan's videos got me got me hyped. Um let's start with this one actually. So Blanky says, I really enjoyed the Postacoglu video. Thank you. It did make me worried about the amount of goals we'll concede next season. My worry is Celtic should in theory have the best defence in the SPL in comparison to our defence, probably being the worst in the Prem. With an improved <laughs> defence, can this worry be removed? Uh, and equally, Greg Peth says, how many nil-nils are we going to get this season? <laughs> um, so I, I listened to a little bit of Ange content earlier, and these were some words that he said. Winning 4-3 is more exciting than winning 1-0, depending on the game, obviously. The more goals we score, the happy I am, happier I am with the football we play. Nathan, any thoughts on our defence under Postacoglu? Uh, Bardi, would you accept uh, 38 <laughs> four threes in a row if you meant we won the league? <laughs> yeah, of course. I'd take any form of three points. <laughs> yeah, of course. It would be, um, I think we'd all come out the season having aged a few years yeah. Yeah. with less nails. But yeah, of They're course I'd comebacks. take four threes. <laughs> I'm not sure if I would take 38 four threes over 38 boring one nils. I'm not would sure. You? I'm not sure my heart could take it. Windy? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm on for this. Rock and roll football. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Okay. First of all, I don't agree that we have the worst defenders in the league, right? There were there were a number of relegated teams. I've got some shockers starting games yeah, for them, all right? Yeah. Um, and also, apparently, Eric Dyer was playing with an injury all season, so that you know, a bit of bit of leeway there. Something to bear in mind. Um, it's a worthwhile concern overall. We've got some other questions later on about how our squad does and doesn't suit um, Postacoglu that I've we touched on before, I've mentioned on Twitter. I'm hoping to do I'm hoping to do one last bit of content before I go away on holiday and get married <laughs> and have a honeymoon. Um but I'm running low on time and I've got a lot of stuff to do in my personal life. So we'll see. I want to do a like a Twitch stream um on on the squad kind of thing. Nice. Um but yeah there's definitely a mismatch between both um, the general quality that our backline should have and the things that we aspire to achieve, and also the personnel, the specific profiles of the defenders, or defenders in quotation marks that we have, and and the way that Postacoglu sets his teams up. So there's some concerns there. On Greg's question specifically, uh, it's like football sometimes isn't so simple as um, here's a really attacking team who are um defensively weak therefore they're going to win games 4-3 sometimes you've got a team who are um really attackingly intended and it means that the other team defend all game with all 11 players and then you end up nil nil <laughs> um but but with that said probably not many nil nils this season mm. Um, Bardi, quite a difference from our previous two managers who it seemed 
would love to have kept clean sheets as a priority in every possible game. Yeah, um, not to lose the game. They'd rather, yeah, they they came out with the mindset to not lose the yeah. game to start with, which is a, a system and a style. But before I start asking questions about um, Postacoglu, I think you haven't really had an opportunity to chat about him, Wendy. So I think let's let's do what you want to say first before we get into my my fears for for Ange. Oh yeah, I mean I'm just absolutely loving binging all the Ange content that I possibly can. Um, I think he seems... I didn't know much about Postacoglu. You know, the first I heard about Postacoglu was was Dap on the Discord, who's a, a mm. Spurs and Celtic fan, talking about him in glowing terms. And that was two years ago now, maybe. Um, and so I started paying attention and watching the old Celtic game and uh, admiring Rio Hatate, for example, and uh, you know, loving what I was watching of, of Celtic, but it was only occasional. Um, and then Nathan started talking about him in, in relation to the vacant manager's post. What well, you were talking about him back in January, probably Nathan, yeah. maybe even before then, as a as a possible option for the future. Uh, and so I took it a little bit more seriously then. But obviously, when a manager, when a guy can't, becomes your manager, you start paying even closer attention. I've listened to um, three podcasts, which are on. Um, let me get this right. Is it the Howie? The Howie Games, the Howie Games. If you look up the Howie Games, so Postacoglu did um, a first early episode of the Howie Games seven or eight years ago, uh, which is fantastic about his time managing the Socceroos amongst other teams. And then he did an updated double double header, so two episodes uh, talking about his time at Celtic. So there's a lot of insight there across two periods of, of his career. He's a really fascinating man. He's quite warm. Um, I'm really intrigued by his communication style. So one anecdote is that he thinks communication is absolutely vital and not just what the words you say, but the way you say them. And he insists that his squad pay attention when he speaks. He kind of says, I don't speak that often, but when I do, I don't want distractions. I want eye contact. I want people, you know, being present. Um, and he gives an anecdote about his time coaching in Japan about, you know, none of none of his players, none of them spoke any English. So he had Japanese players who he was using a translator for. And then he had a bunch of Brazilian players who he was using a translator for. But the translator for the Brazilian players was Japanese. So he had to say his piece. It was then translated by the Japanese translator into Japanese for the Japanese players, then translated into Brazilian from the Japanese to the Brazilian players, which sounds crazy complicated but he wanted to make sure this was done as clearly as possible and he ended up changing the translator and going for uh, someone who he befriended because he trusted the message more and, and the enthusiasm because he said it was not just about the words but about the way it was conveyed so he ended up changing the translator for someone who he thought had a bit more about him when he delivered it um, which is really interesting um i also have watched most of the high performance insights with Ange Postacoglu from Huddle, which talks a lot more about tactics, uh, which I thought was also a really interesting watch. He's very open. He doesn't try and he's, he's not um, worried about sharing trade secrets or anything. Um, his absolute non-negotiable is that he wants his team to have the ball. His words are aggressive, attacking, bold, brave. That's the team he wants. And everything, he says, everything they do is geared towards that, including their sports science. So they use KPIs. And to be honest, the KPIs were quite basic, but things like average possession, total passes, average forward passes, average shots, goals scored. And then on the defensive side, he's using things like average opponent passes, average opponent entries into the box, average opponent passing in defensive third, because he wants high pressing, and average goals conceded. 
Um, and he also talks on there about how when recruiting players, the person you're recruiting is really vitally important because if they're conservative in nature or set in their ways, it's hard to convince them um, of, of the way he, he plays, which is quite unusual, unless they've already played that way. So he wants players that are malleable and adaptable. Um, so I'm really, really, really excited by that. Sorry, this is going to be a long monologue. I feel like I've got a lot pent up in me from uh, the past week. Um I loved Nathan's video so much. I thought it was absolutely fantastic, really thorough. And um, before Nathan released his video, I'd written a blog article examining which players I think might have and potential in which not might not and might leave. And since watching Nathan's video, I've come to the conclusions that some aspects of my blog and most of the predictions that I've made and that most people are making are maybe null and void. <laughs> Um, because I think the absolute key aspect, which is so obvious and something I've said for years, but seem to have had beaten out of me, of me over the <laughs> last few months is that enabling players can lead to drastic improvements in those players. Sure. And what came through in Nathan's video is how players move to create options on the ball will become an absolute game changer for Spurs. So Nathan showed Postacoglu's players having three, four, five, sometimes six passing options when they had the ball at any one time. And what that means is that players that we've written off as being useless, like Hoybier or Emerson Royale or Davinson Sanchez, won't need to be exceptional passers because if a system works, they'll have several simple passes available to them. And so when, you know, when Bardi says these players are idiots, clearly they're not, clearly they're not. But I will accept that obviously, I don't think they're idiots, but they're also not Luka Modric. And of course, having a higher level of technical skill to pull off the sort of more high risk, high reward passing is incredibly important. But in my opinion, above creativity, above vision, above technical execution, the biggest, most fundamental aspect of whether a player is going to work for Postacoglu, at least in the short term, is how they will pick up the system. Nothing else, I think, in the short term. And I think there are two elements in that. Firstly, how quickly they'll pick up the system, because he wants to instill this, he needs to instill this quickly. There's a lot of pressure at Spurs to do so and how much patience he has with them. And that, I think, is more important than, than many of the other elements of the, the players that we've been looking into. And, and frankly, we just don't know. You know, what evidence do we have of players having previously played similar systems? We have some. How quickly have players picked up those previous systems? Again, we have some, but it's not full data. We're not in training every day. Um, if we take Hoybier as an example, because he's one of the players that a lot of people do want to leave, he's played under Guardiola at Bayern and was reportedly wanted again by Guardiola um, later. This system, in theory, shouldn't be that difficult for him to pick up compared to some players who've never played the system before. He quickly picked up Hassan Hüttel's Gagan Press, leading to him being signed by us to play for Pochettino. And then he quickly picked up Mourinho's system, another completely different system, and was seen by many as one of our best players in Mourinho's first season. So actually, people are saying Hoybier is going to be absolutely useless for Postacoglu because he doesn't suit any of the roles. Maybe the fact that he's a really adaptable, malleable, mature, team-focused player will be absolutely massive for Postacoglu. And 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 do you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm undermining essentially my own work in, in analysing each of these players because I honestly believe, now I've seen Nathan's video, it's like a, a lovely reminder that the most important thing is that a good coach enables his players and we have appointed a coach that I am so excited about. Yeah, man. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, I. I. I don't think I'd go as far as you in terms of 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 the technical level of our players. Like, um, 
like because previously you said we need to move on from Mr. Royale and now you're saying okay maybe there's you know something for, so I'm with you there but then I wouldn't go as far as to say like Davidson Sanchez remains a good option for us right I think that, that there's there's a certain technical um flaw that we've we've got established within the squad I think like you think about like Cameron Carter Vickers he was always not good enough on the ball when he played for us and okay he's like a young player and he's playing the odd match and he's a bit shaky and everything but he just didn't look like he had the capacity to reach a necessary technical level um and and meanwhile he um has started plenty of games under Postacoglu right um obviously Celtic don't get their centre-backs press very much so so yeah I, I I think for me where I've changed is um I think Basuma could be our number six that we don't need um a, like an out and out super playmaker number six yeah. that are, are technically good technically decent number six um is is good enough and the basuma is probably that player um and i can relax a little trying to get in you know locatelli or whatever um to play number six for us um but yeah i think i think i think individual players will improve yeah as long as they you know f- adapt they buy, buy into, into the system they they put themselves you know they all of that and I think, honestly, with that, there'll be some shocks as well. There'll be some players that we're not expecting to leave that we think are nailed on for Postacoglu that will leave because, for whatever reason, they're not adaptable enough. They don't listen. They don't pay attention. Um, but it won't always be the ones we expect. And I'd, by the way, I'm not. I'm not like suddenly changing my Twitter handle to Sanchez season. I'm not saying like hmm. he's going to be our number one centre back at all. I'm just saying I had absolutely given up on Davinson Sanchez because we've seen him consistently look technically ill-suited to a team wanted to play out from the back. And I'm saying now, I think the changing system opens a door for him and others. It doesn't mean he's going to be a starting centre-back or even stay at the club. But I think like there's more chance now of and doing something with him than I felt there was with Conte. So I really, I really enjoyed the video, but I think for me, it's given me more questions than answers because it's it's very specific style of play that he has. And um, I think what worries me the most is the energy and the movement that you need to play this. And I think there's quite a few players who just simply don't have the legs. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking Harry Kane, I'm thinking Hjoibier, I'm thinking Skip. And a lot of what the wingers do as well don't seem to to match with with Sun and Kulusevski. So that's that's kind of like my ver- my first issue. And the other one is it's very specific. It's not specific in the type of like this is automations. This is what you do every single time you get the ball. Mm. But there's still a, there's still a lot of um, repetition. There's still a lot of opening up the channels. You go here. I'm going to go here. We all move into into different space. It's very different from an automation, but it's still an automation of sorts. And it, mm. I'm concerned about these idiots who just have been unable or unwilling to to commit to other managers' styles. Are they willing to do it this time? It's um, it's also more complex. So I think it's going to take longer for players to get it. And so the start of the season, well, Postecoglou said himself, the start of the season at previous clubs has been rough. And he said in, in one of the um, podcasts, he said that's like the part that he looks forward to the most. He backs himself. He trusts. He trusts that he can get through that period. But it's going to be rough at the start because they've got a lot. Because it's not just you go here, you go here. It's relational. It's like if this player goes here, then you go here. If this player goes here, then you go here. And if this happens, you go here. It's it's like situational and relational, and that's complicated to to figure out. Yeah, they're, they're looking at uh, spacings in ways that they haven't been looking at spacings for probably a long time. 
Um, and and Bardi's right. Some players aren't going to have the legs for it. Some aren't going to have the the knack, the intelligence to get it. Um, and others will. And I, I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating this summer. It's a, it's a shame, really, that he's only starting with us on the first of July because the transfer window opens in the fortnight under a fortnight now, I think. And we have got some serious work to do in the window. We we're going into a one competition season with a two competition squad. There's a lot of players to shift out, but he has he's going to have to make some seriously quick assessments about which ones go. I mean, we're going to end up loaning a whole load of players this year because we they, we can't sell them all. It's like it's not feasible, I think, to sell all the players we need to sell. So there's going to be a huge number of loans. Um, a lot of cans kicked into the long grass, I think. Uh, but it's it's going to be a fascinating summer, and, and that preseason is going to be really, really interesting. I mean, I'm definitely going to watch all the preseason games, which is something I haven't said for a while. <laughs> Every single one of them is getting watched. Um, so sim- related, I suppose, to the discussion we've just been having, Alec Deprinsky says, I think we'd all like to see massive turnover in the squad in terms of incomings and outgoings, but I'm afraid the reality is we're going to need to sell way more than we're going to buy, considering how bloated the team's going to look after without European competition. So which players in the squad are the worst fit for the post-colloquy system? The wing-backs come to mind, obviously, and yes, we need to move on from our current set of centre-backs, but which of them stylistically won't cut it? Who do we absolutely need to get off the books? Well, I'm saying I reject the question because <laughs> I don't think we can. I don't think we can know. Um, but do either of you have any thoughts on like you know even if we end up loaning ten players, who are the who are the five players that you absolutely want to get rid of at any cost? Hugo Lloris, Davinson Sanchez, um... Bello, I think is on this list as well. Lo Celso. I just don't see it. Dare I say Perisic? Mm, Perisic uh, wants out and has had a bad time and uh, made an enemy of himself to a significant portion of our fans because of Sun's <laughs> drop-off. Yeah. Um, but tactically, he's quite a useful option because he can play both sides. He's two-footed. He can play outside or even move around inside. Yeah. I don't think he would play as an inverted fullback for us. No, uh, let me correct that. He he mustn't play inverted fullback for us, but he does provide a good squad option. But then, like, so does Brian Hill for similar roles, and maybe you'd just prefer to prioritise the, the younger talent there mm-hmm. and move on from mm-hmm. Perisic. Yeah, I have a lot of hope for Brian Hill in this formation. I think he could I think he could really work, but then I also understand that he's he's got some value to his name and he's worth something. And a lot of our players at the moment aren't, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we sold him, but I do think there there would be a place for him. Interesting. Uh this one's more for you, Nathan. So this is from Hamish, who says, All the talk has been about Postacoglu replicating his Celtic system as Spurs, wide wingers and fullbacks tucked in and how it doesn't really suit our squad currently. But is it a given that he'll stick with this exact system, or would he tweak it to suit the players he has? The reason I'm asking is because looking at Spurs' squad, to me, it makes more sense if we could just change the players' roles and still play Angie's Celtic system. I.e., could the eights, Bentancourt, Basuma, Skip, Hoybier, play the role of tucked-in fullbacks? The fullbacks, Poro, Udoji, play the role of the wingers, and the wingers be the eights. Interesting thoughts. Um, I definitely like the idea of looking at the roles rather than the, than the positions. Um, and I suspect, given the Udoji video, that uh, you might feel similarly about that. Yeah. Um, this is something I've been trying to think through. Um, I talked about I wanted to do like a, a stream where I uh, we look at the squad. Um, I haven't really finished through, through this. So... Um, 
he was national team coach of Australia for several years. And towards the end of his time with Australia, he had them play in a back three for a period of time. And then he decided to move on from the job for, for mainly mm. personal reasons, but also some sort of like political reasons within the Australian national team setup. Um, he also played a back three on a handful of occasions at uh, Yokohama. So I don't know. I'm I'm undecided whether back three would be considered an option um, for him with Spurs. I just I kind of think okay. This is a conversation I was having with my mate John McKenzie the other night. It's like um, look at the clubs that that Conde has been at. Right, uh, Inter, Chelsea, Juventus. All of them, uh, maybe Chelsea are getting out of it now after buying a thousand players, but all of them are like stuck for better or worse in this back three loop, right? Where it's like, you take the Spurs situation, you go, oh, well, this coach, he, he prefers a back four, but just for now, as we move over, we should play a back three because we have Poro and Udoji on the books. So therefore, what we need is we need to bring in, um, a central centre back, or maybe Eric Dyer can play that for now. When we need the left centre back, and that left centre back should be an aggressive defender because he's going to play in the wide position of a back three. But then next year we'll look at moving on to a back four, and then next year comes around, you go, well, we've got these two wide centre backs who are aggressive off the ball. You can't play them in the back, and you just you never get to a position mm. where you can move on, right, as a club, um, because you're constantly just trying to restock around the back three. I think that we. We take this opportunity to bite the bullet, um, to to have a painful rebuild. Wow, I didn't think that phrase was going to come back into my life. <laughs> and just say, look, we're not well built for the 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 squad that the next coach needs. But let's let's just try. Let's just make it happen. We bring in a left centre back who is defensively passive and aerially strong, who can support Romero's tendencies in, in a back four. And we just try to work out what we're going to do with our fullbacks, which may well be. Um, playing all three of Yudoji, Emerson Royale, and Pedro Porro on the pitch at, at one time. Mm-hmm. I think the um, the back three thing in Italy. It's it, it's true that it, he does Conte does wed his team to that because he builds his team that way. But I also think it's just a formation that they use in Italy. And Zaghi didn't go to sure. Inter and all of a sudden go, I've got to play a back three because it wanted, he already played it at Lazio and then he continued it and he even continued the um, the, the project by signing a Cherby who was his centre-back at Lazio. So, yeah, it's not like Conte's put the foundations in and the, the clubs can never change. I would like us to go back to a four, a, a, four, a flat back four. I think, it, I think it just makes more sense. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if we do stick with a back three just because of the playing profile of our squad mm. yeah it's interesting i mean you can essentially make postacoglu's build-up plan work in a back three but it needs some tweaking to do that so i think the point that hamish makes is a useful one that different players can be in different positions but play different roles for the team they just move in different ways so well, yeah i think that pedro Poro is of the quality where your 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 anticipation is that he is going to start Mm. he's not going to play the inverted fullback role. I know that at certain times, especially with sporting, he would move inside narrow. He's doing that as a wing back to get into the final third um, in a way that Udoji does. Um, So that uh, he just doesn't have the appropriate decision-making. He's so far, he's the complete opposite end of the spectrum from the necessary decision-making to play as an inverted fullback that, that I just don't see that as an option for Poro. Maybe I'm wrong. 
but I think I think you have to go into it going, Porod's going to be the outside right wide attacker. Therefore, do we play with two additional fullbacks and Porod's a winger, where you play, you know, Yudoji and Emerson Royale or Davies and Emerson Royale or whatever? Or do you play um, where you have, yep, you've got your inverted left back and then the other role in that line of three players is a number eight. And you play with a number six, a number eight and an inverted left back with Poro mm-hmm. wide wide right. Poro wide and Kulusevsky tucked in one. Yeah, that makes that to me is where I'm leaning towards, I think. I think that I think is Post- more likely also. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, I just think with Postacoglu, he's going to have to be flexible because we've come from a manager who was so unflexible mm. that to his own detriment. And then before him, we had Jose, who was flipping from one formation to the next to try and make things work. I think Postacoglu needs to implement his system, but then he needs to be he needs to understand his players. And I just don't think going in there and smacking them with sticks is it's, it's not going to work. This hasn't worked for two proper stick wielders. I'm not sure it's going to work for him either. I do actually hold more hope of Poro being able to play the inverted fullback role, personally, but I don't think that that maximises his strengths. I think what you have to think about is the biggest positive impact on the team, and I think the biggest positive impact on the team is probably having Poro the furthest wide right player. Um, Even if his 1v1 skills aren't exceptional, I think you can still get him free with his movement, and obviously his crossing is probably unrivaled in our squad so it's useful one other idea Wendy and I, I'd be curious to see how the two of you feel about this would be that you listen to offers for Poro this summer yeah and and this is what I'm saying I think there could be some shocks I do think there could be some outgoings that are not expected because players aren't for whatever reason just you know open to um what they're being asked to do and not picking things up quickly enough I'm just uh, the thing with that point is that like um I'm I'm moving closer and closer to a position where I think that Kulusevski is going to play inside. He's going to play as one of the numbers, the more advanced number eight, the the O'Reilly um, role, um, rather than be an outside right guy. I mean, obviously he can he can cover both. In which case, we need like an outside right winger. So how far removed is Poro from that? Yeah, and I think he's fine in that role for now. I I wouldn't. I could, I could, in my head, I could see like a front three of Richarlison, Hill, and Poro. I could just, I could see a selling Son and Kane. It would be absolute mess in the stands. <laughs> oh man! And everywhere else. But uh, Hill, Richarlison, Poro, Bentancur, Basuma, Kulusevski, Udoji, two centre backs, Emerson, and a goalkeeper. I, I, I could, I could see it. I can already see it. Hell of a downgrade. <laughs> But then, but then this is, but then this is what you want, Wendy. No, this is this is the reason no, you want. This no, manager, is you want this manager that plays a system and a style which beats the individuals. So yeah. you can't you can't have the individuals and not and then build the system around them because it doesn't work. No, but I think this, you wanted this. You you asked for this. <laughs> no, but I I, 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 when we sell Caden Son, this is your, your fault, Wendy. Yeah. But I still think Kane in that system is better than Richardson. Doesn't run. He doesn't run in behind. I think he does. He doesn't I think he press. does. I think, he does, video, I think he does as much as is needed. Every single video, every single clip in that video had one striker sprinting mm. for 70 minutes across to a deep line centre-back or sprinting backwards or sprinting forwards. I just don't think... I love Kane, but I just don't see him doing it. I, I, and, so um, he did do it at the back end of the season when we were playing one game a week. There was, in my opinion, a notable improvement in Kane's intensity of his, his sprints and his pressing under Mason. 
we're playing one game a week. I think that opens a door for Kane to to be able to do that. I think then if we qualify for Europe again, the absolute critical thing is we don't play Kane twice a week. Richarlison needs to get games. And even one game a week, Richarlison still needs to get some minutes and Kane needs to sit on the bench every now and again because he's not a young man anymore and he has to be protected. Um, but I do think it's doable. I, I mean, we'll talk about Kane after the break because I want to. I want to clap back at you two after your, after your Let's your cheeky. It. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. But first, um, we're once again partnered with Athletic Greens. So over to Bardi. I started taking AG1 because my health is important to me, and I like to be ready to go wherever the wind takes me. Hey, Windy, you were on holiday recently. How was the Windy City? Uh, not actually very windy, Bardi, but I had a lovely time, thank you. That's lovely to hear, my friend. But did you know that regular wind, or flatulence, as the medics call it, is a sign of good gut health? And let me tell you, I'm as regular as they come, like a brass band. That's because my gut health is in tip-top condition. I'm chucking AG1 into me on a regular basis. In each scoop is a blend of ingredients with naturally occurring enzymes to support digestion and nutrient absorption. Now that, my friend, is something to trumpet about. Get your gut nice and windy coys. Make AG1 part of your regular daily routine. (laughs) It's cheaper than getting all the supplements yourself and supports better sleep quality and recovery. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs for your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash extra inch to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. A little shout out. So we had, had some questions about things we've just spoken about. I do want to reference the people that asked the questions. So um, Rob G and Shrewsbury Spur, thank you both very much for, for sending questions in. It's very much appreciated. Uh, let's do Kane. So this was from Arnie, who said, question for Windy. Would you sell Kane if it meant you get the funds for a top class goalkeeper, a top class left centre back and a top class attacking midfielder? Um, so I, I heard you guys, I heard you, Nathan, read out my tweets um, and then say how strongly you disagreed with them. Couldn't possibly get on board with these views. Mm-hmm. And then I heard, I heard Bardi take it even a step further than that. Um, so here's my, here's, my, here's my points that I would make. So Nathan, you said that you, you, ca- you can't let any player go into the final year of their contract because you lose control. Any, any and, especially good player, like any, any great and, player. And the risk is that they might go to Chelsea or Arsenal. You did say that you don't think you you're welcome to give you you were happy to give Kane the benefit of a doubt that he wouldn't go to Chelsea or Arsenal on a personal level. Um, yeah. Um, my point is in the same way that when we had the discussion about director of football, and I said it's imperative we appoint the direct the right director director of football and listen to their choice and the manager. You said in the case of Julian Nagelsmann. <laughs> you would say he's too good. We we can allow him to be the one to break that structure. And for me, Harry Kane is that person. I think you can... It's absolutely correct that we shouldn't let good players go into the final of the year of their contract. That is something I fundamentally agree with. But Harry Kane's the greatest player the club's ever had. Um, we, we will not get a better striker. We can't get a better striker. We won't ever have a better striker in my lifetime. I think it's reasonable, therefore, to... When the power is in the players' hands, like it is with Kane, to some degree, I think it's reasonable to allow them to have the power and hope, hope that Postacoglu does something to convince Kane that he wants to carry on at Spurs, give him the season, and, and hope that he signs on after that. 
Uh, I don't think Kane would sign for Chelsea or Arsenal. In fact, I think it's ludicrous to suggest that he'd sign for Arsenal. I think it's semi-ludicrous to say that he might sign for Chelsea. I think it's not outrageous to say he might sign for Man U. Mm. But at the moment, I don't necessarily think he would leave Spurs to go to Man U. I mean, the decision would be for money, essentially, and I don't think he does that. Um Bardi, you said... <laughs> wow, you actually Receipts. made real notes. You, you said... Made... I always used to joke about you doing this, but you actually do it. This is incredible. Keep going. Kane scoring 30 goals didn't really help us in the long run. <laughs> hey, we finished eighth. Man. And would that 100 million, had we given it to Conte, have led us to getting higher up the league? Perhaps it might have. I, I mean, so. on, like, uh, no, no, like... If Kane hadn't scored those 30 goals, we might have been relegated. Yeah, I mean, if we'd been relying on Richarlison or, Kate or Son scoring the goals that, that Kane bagged last year, honestly, I think we might have been in trouble. Um, I, I understand the point you're making that you think there, mm. you know, you, you, you would, pref- you put the, your preferences on a better tactical fit is what you're saying than, um, than Kane. And if that means selling him and spending a hundred million on more tactically suited players, then, then so be it. But personally, I think if you, um, bring in Bastoni instead of Longley, if you bring in, I don't know, midfielder you love instead of Hoybier and you downgrade Kane to Richarlison, I think you still do worse because I think Harry Kane's 30 goals are so underrated. I think he is an absolute machine um, and he, I think he's irreplaceable. And I, I do think you make allowances for, for players like that, right, you're wrongly. Any other player, I get it and I agree, but not Harry Kane for me. I just think if if you give Richarlison, like we're talking theoretically, of course, because we're talking about theoretically setting the play. But if you give Richarlison those those amount of minutes, say he scores 15 goals. So Richarlison scores 15 goals. And then all of a sudden into defence, you put a left-sided centre-back who could progress the ball, come inside, go wide, deliver crosses like Bastoni can. All of a sudden you improve the build-up play, which then could have a huge impact on Kulusevski's output. And all of a sudden he goes from scoring two goals in the league to scoring, I don't know, eight. Son has a better season because the system works better for him and he instead of scoring however few he did he hits 15 all of a sudden now those goals are being spread across because behind Kane you built a team that works Kane is an incredible player and in a team that doesn't function he scored 30 goals but if you put a player who's like Richarlison but behind him you have a team that actually works then I think you cover it I think you cover those amount of goals I, I just think the whole team became so obsessed with Kane scoring goals that we've just forgot how we're supposed to play as a team. So I'm, I'm hoping Postacoglu fixes that. that. And then towards the end, it, it just became Kane's personal crusade to score as many goals as he can. He didn't really give a fuck about where we finish in the league or anything else. So that He's become just a goal machine because that's what matters to him. So um, I do think £100 million improving the team behind the number nine probably more important. Windy? How would you feel if uh, if Postacoglu says, uh, uh, "Listen, mate, uh, I'll stop now." Uh, he says, "I'm not going to use a player who's going into the final year of his contract. I need absolute buying in my system, and I'm not going to have someone here who who isn't committed to the project." How would you feel about that? I absolutely back Postacoglu 100. percent Okay, okay. I think that is the that's the only thing you can do in that situation is to back the manager and. Bardi made a good point that life will go on after Kane. There's no denying that life will and has must go on after Kane. Um, and what Postacoglu says goes. But personally, I believe that um, when Postacoglu gets us playing, and I think it is a when, not an if, 
but I think it might take some time. I think Kane will be absolutely banging goals in if he stays if he stays around because. But he was banging goals in last season, and we were rubbish. It sounds to me like your team Nefardi, that you're you're fully on board with bidding off Kane. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like if you if you dropped Kane into Man City's team last year instead of Haaland, I think Kane would have scored as many goals as Haaland. I do honestly believe that. But, and I th- but you just backed up my point because he behind him, he has a team that functions. Yeah, exactly. So I'm saying if he's in Postacoglu's functioning team, he's rifling goals in left, right and centre. And the team is performing better. So we're getting the more goals from other players like Kulisevsky as well. We um, need some money. We need some money to buy that functioning team. Well, so this is the other... So this is my, the response to Arnie's point, which is, you know, would you sell Kane if it meant you get the funds? Firstly, we're incredibly wealthy and now self-sustaining. So I don't think we need to worry about funds ever again. Um, secondly, I don't know if you heard, Arnie, but we've got like 15 players to sell this summer. Mm. We're not going to be short of incoming funds. We're going to make a lot of money on players when we need to get shots off. And, you know, we're going to have to take a loss on some of them. But the Celso is wanted by another Premier League club. That's, what, 25 to 30 million. Um, you know, bin off five, six, seven, eight more players suddenly you've got a healthy transfer budget on top of what they've already set aside for spending. I don't think we need to worry about having the money to spend on players, particularly with the way we structure deals. Um, it's done over two, three, four seasons, sometimes over the length of the contract. Um, I've, I've got no concerns that we are not going to be able to afford the players we want. I think we have the money to to back the manager. The only thing that could be an issue is the wage budget and the wage structure. And I think that is... Um, a sensible and legitimate way of running the club that we don't completely um the wage turnover ratio doesn't completely lose itself we, we need to be sensible there so you know reports linking us with harry Maguire and Jaden sancho i think need to be in some way taken with a pinch of salt because that would require manchester united subsidizing their wages for a couple of years or the players accepting more than 50 percent wage cuts which seems unlikely to happen um, but I, I do think we've got the funds to to get the players and to keep Kane. Uh, and if that means selling Son as well, by the way, then so be it. And I love Son, but but so be it. Nathan, you did a thread on goalkeepers. And it seems as though David Raya, and I'm saying Raya and not Raya, and I'm having to really tell myself to sell Raya because it, <laughs> apparently it's David Raya. Okay. Raya, yeah. Um, David apparently Ray. he's the one. Okay, yeah, sure. I mean, he made my list, so that's good. <laughs> He's really good. Um, He's a really brilliant passer. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I I mentioned I I make it clear multiple times that I'm not a confident uh, scouter of goalkeepers, um, and that I um, I'm just gonna just do some data scouting and and leave it at that. So I um, made this table of all of the keepers in the top five leagues. Unfortunately, I'd like to have done the top eight, but maybe that's something I can do again in the future. I need to go over some Ooh. some coding ideas um and big xy plot where you've got their shot stopping versus expected goals basically uh, along one axis and you've got how much passing they do along the other and i, I explained in the thread why pass volume is is the preferred metric because um pass success rules out um <laughs> raya <laughs> say it again for me David Raya, yeah. Raya. I mean, it's, it's, it feels wrong because we've been calling him David Raya for so long. Yeah, okay. Rules him out because he he is asked to do a lot of middle and long distance passing. Um, to But he's not just sort of hoofing the ball up into the sky. Um, he's hitting like direct flat sharp yeah. passes. Um, I gathered a bunch of footage I'm going to send to Bardi, by the way. Um, nice. 
And so he's got like 64% pass success, which is like way down the bottom. And then if you look at like, um, you try to do something that I would use for midfielders, like ball progression, then you get a situation where you've got um, like Brighton's keepers. I use as the example, Steele and Sanchez. They're only ever making very short passes. They're often sideways passes, but they're making them under pressure, using to draw the opposition out so that their team can counter into space. For me, those are like, those three players are examples of really good ball players. So what I've gone for is pass volume, and that, that's essentially used as a measure of how much do the, their teams use them on the ball. Nice. Uh, so sometimes with this, you get a situation where um, a technically capable keeper is in a team who play long ball football and they don't use the keeper. So it's an imperfect metric for sure because those guys are missing out. But the justification I give is you take... Um, Conte, right? He's had Handanovic and Larice, and Handanovic, you know, in the same system, is averaging thirty passes a game, and Larice is averaging twenty passes a game. For, so for me, that that works as a, a pretty insightful metric mm. to a keeper's ability with the feet. And then obviously later on, you would then actually look at them, <laughs> and then okay. Um, I also filtered out anyone who had too few sweeping actions. Um, because we're playing so high. Because, the because we're going to be playing a high line and the keeper needs to come out and be aggressive. So from there, you've, you you know, I've got a list of sort of 10 or so of the top options. Put them in with... with um, uh, um, so Diogo Costa, who who plays in, in Porto, who isn't in the top five league. Uh, Anana, who actually got filtered out due to a lack of sweeping. But if you were to look at his IAX data, he, he should make it back in on average. Um, Livakovic at Zagreb and who else was it uh, Muric at, at Burnley so those are my non-top five league options and the rest are just straight off the list and I'll start looking through them but um, Raya is definitely a standout candidate for me um, like I said I'm going to send a bunch of footage to, to Bardi and maybe he'll do a, a little video for us um, mm. on him the reporting is uh, we've pretty much nailed out personal terms um, but Brentford are asking for 40 million. And in my opinion, if they are definitely going to hold out for that kind of money, then maybe we should be looking at offering more like 50 for the likes of Anana and uh, Mike Mignan. I, I think um, the Champions League final on Saturday was an incredible example of what Onana brings you. Um, mm. The the inter-back line was able to play almost him as a, as a central centre-back yep. at some points against Man City. He he's, in his, he's a sensational player with the ball at his feet. Um, I, I like Raya. I have question marks over his positioning. I think sometimes he gets drawn towards the ball. I think the capability, the, the possibility of him being lobbed crosses to the back post. I think he come, kind of gets dragged too far past his front post. That's his positioning is a concern. I think his handling is, it seems to be fine, but I need to look at it a bit more. I think think he's a massive upgrade on the current Larice. So I think for 40 million is a lot of money, but he's he's a, he's a big gain on Fost on, on Forster and Larice. Mm. So if that's what it costs to get a homegrown player, they were paying that kind of tax. I think I think it's probably worth it. So Buddy, something to look out for in the clips that I've sent you is that um, statistically uh, Raya is a, a good uh, shot stopper, mm. but he has a poor performance against shots from distance. Okay, I think that's his position. I think he's so the goals. That I I like I like watching goals goalkeepers concede. I think saves are a pretty standard for goalkeepers, and there's so many variables in bad a striker messing up or yeah. 
Yeah, a goalkeeper making a save is what they're there to do. I think we learn more from the goals they concede. And the the few goals that I've seen from him, I think sometimes he gets drawn out of position, which is either footwork or um or positioning, which is yeah, which is which makes sense for long distance shots. Is it possible that that could also relate to his height? He's six foot one, he's not the tallest. If he had a longer reach, maybe he's saving more shots from distance? Maybe, maybe. Um I mean, Nathan points out that he he classifies as homegrown, so that's one advantage over mm-hmm. Onana and he's Menyan. The only one, I think that's true. I think he's the only one. Maybe Murich actually. I have to th- think about him, but yeah, mm. I think he. Uh, otherwise, oh, Robert Sanchez possibly. I need to double check that, but that he's one of he's certainly one of very few who's who's homegrown. It's a big advantage, isn't it? Big, big, so he's twenty seven. David Raya. He turns twenty eight in the summer. Um, you would hope that that's six years of, of service that he could give. And when you think 40 million spread over six years doesn't seem too bad for, as Barney said, a significant upgrade on both Lloris and uh, Fraser Forster. Um, I mean, it'll be transformative when we've got the ball at the back, the, the amount of calmness and ability he mm-hmm. has compared to what we've been used to. I'm interested to get your thoughts, Barney. I, I've come to the conclusion that we also need to bin off Fraser Forster and it might not happen this window but I think over the next two windows I think we do need to bin him off as well because I can't see him being able to sweep for a start I I don't think he's up to it no, our, our signing of the season, uh, Fraser Forster. I think he did a, <laughs> I think he did a nice job coming in for Luis, and he steadied us and gave us something yeah. a bit different. If he sits on the bench for another season, as you said, he's barely going to play any games. If he sits on the bench for another season, I'd be all right with that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I still feel like it's a bit of a risk, and if anything were to happen to the Raya or whoever comes in as first choice, the the downgrade in the system would be really huge I think we're not going to buy two goalkeepers that's just that's could, just mad no can get a, young, a younger two. one maybe or or maybe maybe even like maybe he has a look at Austin and says okay he'll he'll do for the season and um, just get rid of Forster on that base I don't know I, where's the handsome guy the, the good Alfie looking Whiteman. goalkeeper mm. where's he gone he's still knocking about you know Austin and Whiteman are now 24 years old and they've barely Bloody played any football they've had what half a season each it's crazy how much they're wasting their careers away by sitting on the bench Spurs um, absolutely ridiculous um, run through quickly of some of the other players linked so James Madison uh, ideally space says one of the reasons why I'm hesitant regarding the Madison signing is that he has the same agency CAA base as our very own newly appointed manager it should be noted via info from transfer market that this same agency has ties with Son Richarlison Porro and a few ex-players who were starters for us in the past if they're going to become a more data-oriented club, trying to model the likes of Brighton and Brentford and move away from how we made signings in the past, does having these relationships with agencies like CAA Base hinder us becoming what we supposedly want to become? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of uh, interesting articles out there about um, Postacoglu's agent um, of CAA Base and, and his work getting Postacoglu sp- to Europe, that that was a huge he, focus. He, he speaks about him in the podcast I listen to. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, he, he he left no stone unturned in trying to get Postacoglu into Europe. Um, and when I tweeted about the fact that we were linked to good coaches, I was saying, look, look, under under Paratici, we were looking at the the guy at Porto, uh, Luis Enrique, um, who uh, someone else as well, whatever. And now we've moved on. We're look, we like, we're looking at company Schlott, Postecoglou. Like that's a very significant move towards good coach recruitment. Multiple people said, oh yeah, it's 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 CAA base. We're talking to them, like they're telling us our coaches. So, 
Um, that, that wasn't the case, by the way. Um, I have it on good authority that we went to them rather than them coming to us. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, I've heard... I need to be careful with my words. Um, not that, although that's true. Um, <laughs> I've heard very good things about the uh, recently reported analytics stuff at Spurs. Very promising, exciting things that I believe are not connected to this agency. Um I would say the fact that we're still linked to a player of that agency, um, aside from the analytics stuff, is slightly more worrying that we're going to go for like a, we'll get a few of the analytics picks and maybe we'll get a couple that the agency recommend kind of thing is is not hugely uh, um, brilliant as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I'm I'm largely feeling optimistic that we, we're probably heading in the right direction. And look, James Madison statistically has a really strong profile. You know, he played for a relegated team this season. He's put up um, a number of impressive mm-hmm. um, creative metrics. Um, he can play. Can he press? He can press. He can press. I'm pretty sure he's a, he's a capable presser. Um, Get him in. Can play a mix of number eight and number 10, which suits suits the roles. Could he even play him wide, but that's not really yeah. ideal for him. Um, I don't know. I, I Again, he's homegrown, but I suspect that there's probably better options at the price point that we're going to be looking at for Madison. But I definitely don't hate it as an option, that's for sure. I do. I think there probably are better price point, uh, better options at the price point. But I also think there's like an element of prestige about it okay. that, that shouldn't be overlooked, that Madison comes in at a level where it's like, shit, yeah, that's a statement signing. He's hmm. a really good player who's bubbling under the surface, is so ready and has been for a couple of years to be picked up by a bigger club and is now ready to, a bit like Grealish in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, he's ready to make the next step up. Um, I think like in terms of convincing Kane to stay, I think signing Madison's a really smart move. Um, and I really like the potential impact on the squad. I like the fact that he takes set pieces. I don't necessarily think this is connected to the agency. We've watched Madison since he was a 17-year-old. Yeah. I have that on good authority. At Coventry, um, right? Yeah, when he was at Coventry, we were watching Madison. And when he went to Norwich, uh, we were one of the teams that were also interested in signing him. But they weren't quite ready to to, to do, get that deal done at the time. They wanted to see a bit more of him in a, in a higher league before they made it that decision which i think was a mistake and i t- I was tweeting about that at the time i was tweeting we should sign this guy he's got huge potential and i think spurs at that point weren't taking enough risks with with younger players it was frustrating to me but we've watched him for a long time i got a question for you wendy so if madison can convince kane to stay what if we sign Maguire, kane's best friend mm, yeah um, um i mean i do I, I think as i said earlier um Maguire's on £350,000 a week, supposedly. Spurs, Spurs won't go anywhere near that. Like, we would pay him maybe 160 170 something like that. So he's taking a huge pay cut to come to Spurs, and therefore I can't see it happening. Um, unless, there's some, unless there's some other, like, massive yeah. um, signing on fee or United contribute to his wages in some way. But I'm not against Harry Maguire restarting his career under a coach that is an exceptional man manager who has a history of um, rejuvenating players. And I think Postacoglu likes Carter Vickers because he charges into midfield and makes punchy passes forward. Harry Maguire charges into midfield and makes punchy passes forward. I, I kind of can get on board with it. I mean, people have raised concerns about him being slow on the turn and us getting caught on the counter. But I think that's true of many centre-backs you don't get many rapid centre-backs mm. on the whole so 
Um, I wouldn't necessarily mark him down for that when you can just as easily mark down the players who are quick on the turn for their passing or for other aspects. You don't get many centre-backs who can do it all and are lightning quick. Um, you know, we played a high line with Jan Vertonghen, who was very slow on the turn, and, and he was rarely found out because the team functioned well, the counter-press worked, and we didn't get caught often with balls over the top. Uh, I think it, I think it's doable. I agree with you. I think I think Maguire is better than Sanchez. He's better than Longley. He's better than Dyer. I yeah. think he's there. And if Man United will front up, I don't know, fifty percent of his wages, because obviously they want to get that money off their yeah. books. Yeah. I I wouldn't be against it. Yeah. Bit of experience as well. I'm not keen on Maguire. I think first of all, I think he's like he's good. He's fine. He's way 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 over criticised by Man United. Mm. Yeah. Um, Yep. But I think he is not that well suited to a very high line. He's not that well suited to having responsibilities dealing in wide areas when the fullback's in front of him. Uh, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair um, point. And just general turning speed. Um, I think that he is a player who, who is on very, very low confidence right now. So I'm not super enthused by, by Hammer Maguire. Again, I recognise that he's homegrown. I still think that there are better options in, in that, mm. that price range. Mm. Who who would your better homegrown options be, incidentally? Oh, I, I no, I don't know if there's better homegrown options at that price. I mean, point. obviously Cole will, but he's not going to sign for Spurs. Ah, we should try. We should. Inquire. We should definitely try, but Chelsea will not sell to us. I think that Chelsea desperately need sales, and I think that we have a um, you know with Abramovich out of the way, Abramovich and Levy wouldn't do business together. But I think that we should we should pursue um, dealing with Chelsea again if it could be of our interest. Well, if if Chelsea are going to deal with us, then we should be signing a whole bunch of their younger players, yes, to be honest. Yes, every window. Um, and we should also look at Tamori ex-Chelsea as well. He's, mm-hmm. he's fantastic. He is, but he's very aggressive and you can't play... That's true, aggressive two player. aggressive centre-backs. Yeah, mm, yeah that's, a, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, just Talk to me about the um, Jadon Sancho ITK. I want to... Who's your source, Wendy? Oh, this is this is um, this is absolutely not come from me. But there's mm. reporting from a Man United source um, that Spurs are interested in Jaden Sancho. I would suspect that this is his agent trying to get him a, a move um, rather than us genuinely being interested. I would be shocked if because again, it's the wage thing, and United aren't going to sell him and then pay fifty percent of his wages. That's just not going to happen. So. I would be staggered if we signed Jaden Sancho. He's really, really good. He can play both sides. He suits the profile. He's yeah. he's young. He's English. <laughs> yeah, Tick all, ticks all those boxes. I, uh, I I really like him. I really, really like him. Shit, Brian Hill, mate. <laughs> um, other players linked. Uh, Victor Nelson do you know anything about him yeah so I saw this thing and I thought oh that's an interesting one I wonder if that is an analytic suggestion I went and looked into his game and it looks like he's fairly limited on the ball and I lost interest okay Um, Arthur I I, I, I googled this earlier to listen to how you pronounce his name and now I can't remember I want to say it's theater something like that yeah but it looks like theater Um, any good I think so Um, uh, he plays and Roden doesn't (laughs) Mm. Um, but I haven't, I haven't done the big uh, look into him just yet. Uh, his his ball playing numbers look really impressive. And he's decent in the air. He's left footed. So those are the sort of the three most important things you're looking for. And he's not super. Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah, he looks fairly passive defensively. So the profile is is spot on. Uh, Twenty twenty three years old. So definitely mm. one to have a look at. I mean, Ren are just. Um, 
ripe for harvesting. <laughs> They're loaded mm-hmm. with super talented players and also Joe Roden mm-hmm. online. <laughs> Uh, Sophie and Amrabat, who you previously wrote off, or we all did, I think. Yeah. Right. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't drag me into, into <laughs> your negativity. Are you a fan, buddy? I like him. I like him a lot. Mm. What does he do? Tell me about him. Runs around, makes tackles, makes passes. Good. Nice. Mm. Nathan? Yeah, so he... Um... Doesn't he profile like all of our other midfielders? He did. He used to. He he was an up and down dribbly number eight, more of a dribbler than, than the other guys. Um, but he, it looked like he was starting to play as more of a number six. And then we got linked to him and I was thinking, oh, yeah, okay, maybe. But then we just bought like, or we're just about to buy Basuma, who's kind of the similar thing, right? A dribbly number eight moving to becoming a number six. And I prefer Basuma and his defensive game is stronger. Um, but he's really shone in becoming Fiorentina's um, locked-on starter number six this season, um, and now I'm I'm more interested in him. But like I said, I think I think that um, I think Basuma is a good option. I, I, you know, for Amrabat now, we've been looking at paying pretty heavy prices, competing with with Barcelona and Bayern for his signature. So I think that the opportunity is gone. But mm. uh, yeah, fair play to him for developing. Mm. Sure. That Fiorentina team is terrible. There's some really bad players in there. The manager's really good and um, Amrabat is really good. And somehow they've managed to to do pretty well this season. They lost both cup finals, but they did. They pushed really hard and that's a credit to the manager and, and Amrabat. Mm, interesting. Um, two more things before we sign off. Firstly, Cal the Aggregator, the legend is Cal. Um, everyone's favourite on Discord, says, with rumours we might go towards more of a head of recruitment rather than director of football, how big a difference does that actually make? And does that make you feel any differently about the rebuild of our football ops? And let me just say, we were talking a moment ago about about scouting and recruitment and the, the things that Nathan's heard. Um, as it stands at the moment, our chief scout is Leonardo Gabanini, who is most famous, I think, for being um, one of the key people in the Pozzo scouting network. Pozzo, who used this um, particular scouting software. I don't know much about it. It's called Scout 7. That's all I know. Um, oh, that rings a bell. Yeah. Um, he's very highly thought of, as far as I can tell, from some some questions I've asked of some people. Um so Alistair Gold, I think, said this week that Spurs are still looking for a director of football, but there were some reports maybe a week or two ago that maybe we're not that bothered anymore because we think we've got the skills suited um, in other roles and we, we can just kind of get by with what we've got. So we've got Scott Munns in to deal with football operations. We've got this Gabonini uh, who's heading up the scouting. Paratici put in uh, a bunch of layers around the recruitment teams and I guess the, it's very difficult to answer the question without knowing the specific roles that people are doing and it, probably even without working in the club and having a feel for what's missing, um, and wh- whether there's sufficient leadership in each area. But the key is that each department needs to be able to give, and give needs to be given a degree of anonymity to get on with their jobs whilst also that information being correctly passed up the line and taken into consideration by the decision makers and I think that's the critical thing and is there someone there who who values that uh, recruitment data analysis side highly enough over contacts and you know all the proper football men stuff um do we do you have any thoughts on the structure are you, are you particularly fussed about whether we get a director of football or is that just something that we've 
parroted because it felt like we we ought to get one. No, I, I did a I did a thread of um, back in like February or something saying um, you know the this idea of one guy who does all of the scouting, all of the negotiations and stuff is kind of outdated. And you know, if I was to come into the role, I would be looking to dissolve it as quickly as possible by by setting up a negotiations team, using mm-hmm. a developing a recruitment department. And then um, just looking for a, for someone to do oversight, which I guess could be Scott Munn. So mm-hmm. I am definitely like uh, approving of it. The only concern is, does that leave like, do you need an authoritative um, figure with a bunch of power in order to push Levy away from his continued involvement? Is is it possible to achieve sort of a fluid running system? with multiple departments working together under Mun or whoever's oversight um, at Tottenham and and keep Levy out of doing those things. And finally, um, Ryan Mason. It sounds as though Ryan Mason is to be kept on. Snake, Um, get him out. (laughs) um, I'm really happy that we're keeping on Ryan Mason. Uh, I'm particularly happy because in my research on Postal Clue, he makes a really interesting comment that he likes to keep a distance between himself and the players in terms of becoming too attached to them or too friendly with them because he thinks that gives him a sense of objectivity which leads to best decision making i.e. he doesn't want to have uh, he's it might get in the way of him delivering bad news if he's good friends with the player so like it might influence some of his decisions mm. I really like that but I also really think you need a coach who's a little bit more a bit closer to the players someone for them to vent to someone for them to, to talk to and I think Brian Mason can absolutely be that guy. I've list, listened to him speak on several podcasts. I think he's highly intelligent, emotionally intelligent. I think he's got a, a large degree of empathy. I think given what he's been through um, in his own career, I think he's a good person for the players to have to speak to. And also, I think there are signs that he's developing to a really good coach. And I'm very happy that he's a part of the setup. I would also love Matt Wells to be there because I think some of the work that he's done in the past with video analysis will be so useful and I'd, I'd love when the announcement comes about the backroom team I'd love both Mason and Wells to be amongst them the names mentioned yeah I'm really 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 happy about the Ryan Mason news so something that I talked about in my video is um the the defensive issues in in the way the Postecoglou presses and how that's both the case we press in the same way at Celtic and uh, uh Marino's and had set the similar issues in, in both cases and materialized, especially for Celtic in the Champions League. Um, I have heard that um, Postecoglou isn't especially involved in the training of Celtic's pressing game and that he leaves a lot of that to his assistant coach, who he's hoping to bring with him to Spurs, but I think hasn't been sealed yet. Meanwhile, Ryan Mason really impressed me with his out-of-possession adaptations in his handful mm-hmm. of games at the end of the season for Spurs. Um, and then also additionally to that is the chance for Mason to work under a coach who has structured um, positive mm-hmm. A heavy possession game, um, really yeah. good for his own development. For so for me, that that's a really and for the reasons you gave, that's a really perfect situation there. One final thing, thank you so much to everyone who signed up for the Patreon this week. Off the back of Nathan's Postacoglu video, um, this is Nathan's job. Remember, so 
that is very much the best way you can support him and the work he does and our work more generally. Um, I have switched the discount on the annual subscriptions to the maximum that Patreon will allow. So that's 16%. So now's a good time to sign up for an annual sub if you liked Nathan's video and, and want a bit more. Uh, so patreon.com forward slash the extra inch. Check out the annual subs and, and please support the podcast. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Subs. We love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Thank you.